This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, okay, mate. Good, good. I know what's coming, so I'll just uh, I'll just tell you. <laughs> I've been I've been wearing caps when I've been walking the dog, but uh, <laughs> on on this show, mate, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna front up to it. And uh, to be fair, it doesn't look that long, me hair, but it's when uh, it's when you look closely, it's it's kind of going different directions. It's just losing it losing its shape. So yeah, and I'm uh, I'm feeling the pace a little bit. Yeah, I liked the anticipation of the question there. <laughs> mate. That's it, mate. Getting uh, getting straight at it like Liverpool were that the SE had on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's why we're here. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, and then with that being the only game really that we can address at the minute, given that the international break is here, uh, a little bit of a downer. But we can we can talk about City. You know what happened, how we thought the game went, and then we'll probably just have a little look at you know the states of play at the minute, sort of thing, what the league looks like. Some weird stuff, some good stuff. Um, probably just more of a chat that's going to be. Uh, so, usual caveats of it might be a shorter episode, but usually when I say that, it never is. Um, so we, we, you know, we will see. But we'll start off with the Eddie hat then. So, uh, Dave, general thoughts on the game? Yeah, a really um, intense game of football. You know, two top sides. Um, I thought it's it, it, it was real top level stuff, uh, especially in the first half. But even the second half, in terms of there was obviously less goal scoring opportunities, maybe less um, attacking intent from both sides. But for me, it still still felt like it was a game that could have exploded in any minute, really. And it felt like both teams knew that as well, so they didn't really want to overcommit. Um, which I thought was wise. I, I do understand why. Um, but yeah, you know, a, a really good watch and the kind of, okay, I know traditionally you might like to see more goals, but I think it's it's the kind of match that you want to see from the two best teams in the Premier League. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. I think it's, it's... Liverpool City over the years has reached such a standard. It's it's, it's crazy, to be honest. The, the, the two levels of both teams is just stupidly high. Um, and although this season maybe the Premier League table doesn't exactly show that, I think when the two teams face each other, you can just really see that it is two heavyweights, two proper coaches, two um, well-built squads uh, fighting off really. And I think, I think maybe the the best, the best standard game I've seen in the Premier League was probably, um, I think it might have been. It was last season or the season before at the Etihad, Liverpool City. And I think Sane scored the winner in off the mm. post. Liverpool scored that goal that was kind of full-back to full-back and then Firmino popped it in. Um, I think that that is probably the highest standard game that I've seen um, in, in, in England. But this one wasn't far off. And I think in the first half, especially from a Liverpool perspective, you know, we were really on it. Um, and unlike Klopp, very, very surprising move. He come out with the, um, a rabbit out the hat, let's say, with a, a tactical formation shift, which I didn't see coming. Uh, I'm, I don't know if you've seen it coming, Dave, but we, we previewed the game last week. We didn't mention anything to do with that. It was a complete shock for me. We were talking about Jose. We were talking about Firmino. But I thought, with this being City, with this being the Etihad, Guardiola, you know, away from home, you go with the four three three, and we didn't. You know, a little bit of a surprise for me, but I thought it worked really, really well. I, 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 I loved it. To be honest, I loved the formation shift. Mm, yeah, I think potentially what uh, brave tactic, by the way, by Klopp. But I think what the what he's wanted to do is, you know, catch Guardiola and City cold in those initial exchanges, and maybe try and, as they've done in years gone by you know, build an early lead by doing this. And it didn't nearly happen. Obviously, they get the first goal in the first 15 minutes of the match. They had a couple of chances either side of that as well. And you'd think if you get that 
you know, two two nil lead in the open twenty minutes, then suddenly you you're already on your way to a victory, aren't you? Um, I do think uh, as the game went on, City learned how to cope with the formation better, or maybe not. Cope may be the wrong term, but they certainly adjusted and started finding more ways to try and bypass it, making it more of an even game. But yeah, those initial exchanges, uh, I thought Liverpool were on top and City didn't really seem to know how to progress the ball through Liverpool in that formation. Um, and interestingly, Josh, actually, I did see Robertson talking about it after the game. I don't think it was on Sky uh, because it, the, the interview came up on my Twitter feed and he did say that basically um, it was a tactic and formation that he'd been working on for the last couple of days and he did want to try and catch City cold uh, and if they could get one or two goals and he did say you know maybe the only regret is not getting that second while he was on top uh, because overall it was a it was a good performance and I'd have to agree um, you know they, they didn't seem to overcomplicate themselves in terms of wanting to control the ball they were happy City have the ball and just be in a really good shape yeah I mean it's this match was the the 11th time that Pep has faced Klopp at Liverpool and City, uh, excluding the Charity Shield match, Community Shield, whatever it's called, <laughs> uh, excluding that match. So and I, th- I think in the previous 10, Klopp has went 4-3-3. So I think over the years, I think Guardiola has almost lost his mind trying to figure it out and trying to come up with ways to dismantle this 4-3-3. Um, but I think in recent in recent times, particularly away, he started to lean on a four two three one, um, and I think the midfield two, as well as the back four, have kind of given them enough, particularly at the Etihad, to to get out basically to to progress beyond Salamani and Firmino, um, and then they can move up the third end of the pitch quite quickly. Then um, I think it's given them a bit more control as a formation, and I think maybe it was a I'm not sure what we'll do when it, when the Anfield leg comes around. Uh, I think that's in February. But in this game, I, I just think, you know, with us being without Van Dyke as well, and with City maybe being a bit a bit more toothless than years gone by, I think maybe Klopp just thought this is a risk worth taking. As you said, catch them cold, because Guardiola will have no doubt planned throughout the week, probably in his own head before that as well, uh, knowing what he's like. So I think he will have planned for four three three, possibly four two three one, but I don't think four two two will have entered his mind. So you obviously get forty five minutes on the pitch then, whereby Pep can't really intervene, um, can't really communicate with his players, and his players just have to kind of figure it out and cope for forty five minutes. That ideally will have been when Liverpool put the game beyond doubt. I think we cut off. Uh, but just just a bit of insight into the four two four four two that Liverpool used. Obviously, Sheldon Firmino with a front two. Then you had Jota on the right, Mane on the left, Henderson and Wijnaldum as your midfield two. Um, but I, I really lo- lo- I really loved the way it was adapted for City because you you, you couldn't say but that as most people I suppose wouldn't say but that as Salah and Firmino would press. Laporte and Diaz, but that that wasn't the case. Salvador Firmino dropped back, attached themselves to Gundogan and Rodri, and that allowed Henderson and Genie to drop back and attach themselves to De Bruyne. And um, Salvador Mane, uh, sorry, Mane and Jota out wide were kind of blocking those those progressive passes into like the half space areas, the inside right areas, the inside left. Uh, that Pep uses so frequently, so I thought it was really, really well applied. And I think you know when you think of a standard four-four-two, you think of you know the banks being easily progressed through the spaces in between, it being quite a an extinct formation to an extent in England. But I think this, I think Klopp showed that if, if you can apply it differently, if you can kind of modernise it a little bit, it is a really effective formation. I know Southampton are using it as well under Arsenal, and. Um, you know what? I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more of it going forward. Yeah, yeah. I think it, the, the the benefit of it is it's just really good without the ball, isn't it? And not mm. that it, it doesn't offer anything with the ball. It clearly does. Uh, but I do think it's formation that's 
you know, I remember when Carlo Ancelotti went in at Everton, that he obviously implemented the 4-4-2 because it felt like it's a structure that um, you can implement fairly well and certainly with, when you, your behaviour is without the ball, it's it's a lot easier to to basically construct and the mechanics quite easy for players to get a grasp of. I do think the one that we saw from Liverpool was a little bit more um, complex and it did have more of an attacking element to it. Um, but yeah, I just it, it did. It, it worked really well. Um, I can only think of maybe one time that City managed to bypass it and expose that spacing behind the the wide players. Um, and it was when they scored. You know, I think it was it maybe what Walker gets in there and gets the ball to the Bruyne in the central location, and then um, obviously that leads to the goal. But beyond that, I can't really think of many times where City had too much joy getting past it. Yeah, the only, the only thing with using a double pivot like that is if if City do get into the half space areas just out wide in like the De Bruyne type areas, if Mane or whoever your wide midfielder is doesn't get back, one of the midfielders has to shuttle over and then that leaves space on the other side of the midfield too, if you, if you know what I mean. And it, yeah. it, Everton has to move over, Everton has to shuffle. So that was the one time really where... Mane was out of position, so Wayne Allen compensated. And then when Allen was out of position, so I think it might have been Gomez or something compensated. Um, and City, I must admit, I think the Gabriel Jesus thing was was lucky. I don't think he means that, to be honest. Really, I think he did. You know, I'm gonna, I'm def, I'm gonna give him that. I it, thought it, he meant it. It comes into him quick, and uh, just the the way the ball moves, it it looks like he doesn't know where the ball's gone, but he just he just it looks like he just cottons on to where the ball's gone. Quicker than Trent and Gomez or whatever, or Massa or whatever it was. Um, but I'm not giving him that one. I don't think he means it. Uh, but yeah, I really like the four four two. Yeah, I think it was um, it was a welcome change to be honest. Obviously, we've persisted before the three for years, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it does adjust slightly for each each opponent. But I think this four four two was kind of a complete change, and while still being good defensively. It offered kind of a, a, a bank of four in attack, really, once we got the ball. You know, if you've got Jota, Mane, Salah and Firmino, wouldn't that, yeah? Who are you, who are you picking up, so? It does, uh, just like, just on that, it does all go back to um, buying Jota. You know, Jota's just opened mm. more avenues now. You know, he, he, he's he been key to it because suddenly you've got a player who can feature with the other three uh, with the same kind of capacity and ability both with and without the ball and you know suddenly you have got more avenues you can play a 4-2-3-1 you can play this you know 4-4-2 4-2-4 um you know whichever way you want to call it so it's it is kind of all back going back to Jota and Jota coming in yeah yeah no it's a great shout um I think he's you know he's clearly a very versatile player I think he's played on the left through the middle and on the right since he came to Liverpool he's only been here for about two months um, but yeah, it's making Liverpool more unpredictable. It's making Liverpool probably more difficult to analyse before games. And um, I think particularly this, I think this four four two, particularly against four two three one shapes, and particularly against teams that are inclined to get plenty of players forward, like maybe a Leeds, some a, a team like that. If, if you can get Liverpool's four attackers on the transition running that, yeah, like Liverpool did on so many occasions, but didn't really make use of it. I think it's going to be a useful formation to to kind of add to the, the playbook almost moving forward for the rest of the season. Mm. Um, particularly if the defence isn't isn't firing that much. I always find that like the more attacking a lineup is, almost the more defensive the opposing team is likely to go. You're more likely to go in your shell. You're more likely to feel the fear almost of conceding too many. Um, but the numbers of the game anyway... So the numbers of the game for me don't adequately capture, particularly the first half. Um, so City posted one point six expected goals, Liverpool posted one point four. Um, pretty much even then. You've got to bear in mind he was two penalties. So without those two penalties, both teams are posting like in and around, you know, zero point five, which is barely even a goal. Um. City took six shots, Liverpool took nine. And funny enough, I've got a few little homemade stats for this for this episode, Dave. 
<laughs> um, first of them, obviously City took six shots. City have only posted fewer in a Premier League or Champions League game under Pep once. Um, and that was at Anfield, funnily enough, in 2018, when it was just an absolute ball fest, and I think it would finish nil-nil. And Is Mahrez that where Mahrez missed the yeah. pen? Yeah. yeah. So that, that's the only game in Pep's tenure at City whereby he's posted so few shots in a game, in a Premier League or Champions League game, that is. Um, and you've got to bear in mind, this one was at home, with Liverpool using a different formation. So uh, I think that pretty much captures how impressive Liverpool's performance was on on, on defensive side, Dave. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's... Um... I, I just think, although you caveated that with the with the change in formation, as I said, I think it, it proved to be a, a positive. You know, it, it it wasn't something that was trialed. It was something that was kind of brought in to have a positive impact. And I think it did. Um, yet City haven't been at the best from an attacking point of view. But, you know, they're, they're still City and you can still see what they did and with that goal. You know, they kind of punished Liverpool in that one moment that they kind of got exposed in behind those areas um, with a really good finish. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's... And uh, by the way, as you touched on as well just there, it didn't capture all of Liverpool's best attacking moments because obviously expected goals is based on shots that are taken and sometimes there was occasion where the shots didn't always come off or weren't always... There wasn't always that final, you know, connection with the ball. Uh, I think had a few of them attacking moves ending in shots that... Those XG numbers would have looked um, a little bit higher from a Liverpool point of view, at least. Yeah, um, I think we've spoken about this in the past, haven't we? In terms of the, some of the limitations of expected goals, and I think, I think for me, I I am usually inclined to support the metric because uh, I think an example we used was I think Leicester at Anfield last season. And he played quite well, if you remember, in terms of getting towards the final third of the pitch. But then they couldn't really do anything from there onwards. They, they progressed through Liverpool fairly well. And then once they got to the final third, they couldn't really create anything. Uh, and I think they ended up finishing the game with, with an expected goals of about 0.3 or something. And Liverpool posted like 2.5 or whatever. And I remember saying, like, you know, as much as Leicester have played well kind of thing in inverted commas they've, um, that, that, that's their product at the end of the game their product has been like three shots even though Madison I think scored one of them but in this game I just feel as though this was this was just Liverpool being a little bit almost wasteful in the in the final third a little bit almost you got when, when players have got too many options whereby they just they just kind of like play it in between two players, or the 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 fact that it was City maybe got in the head, and I think Mane had maybe one or two opportunities where he could have shot, but for whatever reason, didn't. Uh, I feel like there's a few situations like that, and as I just said, expected goals is purely based on the shots that each team takes, and I feel like there was plenty of opportunities whereby Liverpool had the opportunity to shoot, or had a break that should have led to a shot. But for whatever reason, the last pass didn't work. A player turned down that chance to shoot. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But then, you know, obviously, I feel like in the interest of objectivity, we should also acknowledge that City could have quite easily won the game had De Bruyne converted that penalty. You know, there's a good chance that would have proved a decisive goal. Um, so it could, have, it could have really swung both ways. But then... That just captures that the quality of the game. I thought uh, that it could have really, you know, it, it's always fine margins in these games. You referenced that game at the Etihad a couple of years ago, where it was in off the post, and in that same game, Liverpool had one cleared off the line. You know, it is very much fine margins that kind of define it. And from that Liverpool point of view, maybe just opting not to unleash a shot or not picking out that correct final ball was probably the difference between one point and three. Yeah. I mean, when I got into the second half, the second half was a a bit of a different game. To be honest, it was, I think the first maybe 15 minutes or so, we tried to play the same game, but for whatever reason, we were going long a bit more often. I think the ball was sticking less high up the field. It was coming straight back. 
Um, I think both teams just got tired at the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, which is understandable. But I think it was also a mix of tiredness combined with um, both teams almost just appreciating the point. I thought, even though City, you could argue, need more. Mm. It just, it, I, I think it, it just felt like a really bad game to lose. And you can make a case for both sides. You know, the pool couldn't have a points lead. I think it's five, isn't it? But they've got a game in Ant City, so you could say two. You know, that could have been basically that that gap could have disappeared with a defeat um in that game. Alternatively City City are probably thinking, yeah, okay, this is it's it maybe is more than us to win, but it's such a bizarre season where, you know, you can't really predict predict the results week by week that they, they're thinking Liverpool are going to drop more points against some team further down the line and maybe that's where we can focus on trying to close that gap as opposed to doing it today and potentially getting punished in counter-attacks because you know Liverpool will punish space in behind so I think that's why both kind of thought you know what we don't need to really do the battle today like we've had to in years gone by because of our this Premier League season's playing out um, and maybe that's the mentality of both, and that's why they they kind of settle for a draw. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I I don't like draws. <laughs> I don't think there's much point in them. I think you know you get you get one point more than a loss for the draw, whereas if you get the win, you know you get three points. That's worth three draws. So I always think in situations like this, it it's it's you it's worth going for it. Really, it's worth going for the three points because most of the time probably you will end up getting the three points um, and the occasional one that you end up losing at the opposite end. You've only lost one point. You know, it's, it, it's, it's risk versus reward sort of thing. Having said that, I think in games like this, you do have to weigh up what losing would mean in the, you know, in a mental capacity, I suppose, in terms of what it means from like, what a player expects to achieve this season, what, what, what it means in terms of feeling inferior to the opposite team if they beat you. So I, I suppose it can impact morale in, in, in games like this more off, more so than, say, if Liverpool were playing Brighton or a team like that. Um, so usually I wouldn't be that keen on, on going for a draw, but in this game, I was I was quite happy to take it despite Liverpool dominating the first half. Um, Liverpool's last shot actually was in the 58th minute. Um, so Liverpool went about 35 minutes, to be honest, without having a shot. Uh, if you look at the race map, which, you know, the expected goals timeline on the day, Liverpool's just completely stops. Liverpool's attack just completely stops on the hour mark. Um, I think Klopp spoke about this after the game. And, you know, he said that, like, sometimes you get to a point whereby City are creating attacking situations and you get to a stage where you just want to get rid of those situations so you just kind of hit the ball anyway. Um, but I think in terms of football analytics, analytics, Dave, I think that's generally an approach that's quite ill-advised, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because it, it all comes back to uh, to punish you, doesn't it? And you're facing sustained pressure. Uh, I must admit, you know, I, I can be a little bit more impartial, I guess. I did think City finished stronger based on the second half but I also think Liverpool probably were unlucky not to have more to show for the dominance in the in the opening exchanges um, but yeah it was just I don't know I, I still think it was a it was just a really good game as I said I think it could have popped at any moment in those in that last half hour like yet yeah, Liverpool didn't register the shot but I think had City exposed themselves in any way I think Liverpool could have quite easily punished it um, so yeah I don't think that tells the full story that they didn't have a shot on that time I do feel like they were still a threat even if they weren't necessarily registering any sort of you know output official yeah. output yeah it, it was a proper draw wasn't it to be fair yeah it was a, mm. a, as close to an accurate draw as, you, as you're going to get really in many ways also um, I think um, just quickly we were talking about the, the points and not wanting to drop like um, you know not wanting to go for draws I do think, and this term is often used at the wrong end of the table, but I do think you can label this a bit of a six-pointer, can't you? And um, yeah, yeah. I think it, it becomes a more expensive defeat 
if you do lose, then just just three points. Because um, obviously your rivals gaining three and you're losing three. So it's, uh, it is one that you don't want to lose. Yeah, and I think from Klopp's perspective, which we're obviously trying to cover, considering it's analysing Anfield, I think maybe he goes for a little bit more at Anfield. But, you know, with this being away, he plays City twice in the space of a season. Maybe, I think most clubs, most teams probably would take the take a draw away from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't really argue with that. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Just a little, another little note on on how the game went. Um, Kevin De Bruyne. So he had forty eight touches in the game. Um, another little homemade stats for our analyzing Anfield listeners. <laughs> he's played he's played 90 minutes 53 times in the Premier League since 2017 and he's posted lower than 48 touches once um, funny enough that was also against Liverpool when Liverpool lost 4-0 last season <laughs> mm, wow. which is a surprising one he posted 39 in that game even though City completely Dominated this really after after we just won the league. So I thought I'd throw that one in there because um in terms of Liverpool's game plan, Klopp's game plan when he whenever he faces Pep, it always seems to focus on stopping De Bruyne, really. I think I don't think De Bruyne has anywhere near the same impact against Liverpool as he does most other teams. Mm. Well uh, is that including like substitute appearances as well, is it? Like if he comes oh, up that's... on the hour mark or something? No, that's that's no. only Full ninety minute matches. Wow! So he's played. He's played ninety minutes fifty three times since twenty seventeen. Um. So it's, it's those fifty three games. Bottom of that for touches is Liverpool when City won four nil, and second bottom is Sunday's game. Um. And there's a few other Liverpool ones in there as well. I, th- I think Liverpool generally do fairly well in terms of keeping his, his impact lower than usual. Um. Even though he did kind of get in his little, his typical space for, for for the penalty that was given against Joe Gomez, little word on. In fact, no, we'll, we'll cover this now because I wanted to give a I wanted to give a heads up to Allison. I thought Allison was uh, spot on on the day. To be honest, I thought he was really bold, safe hands, didn't really let him loose, and you could argue because of the keeper that he is, because of how well he was playing, you could argue. Do you reckon maybe he's got a bit of an an impact over? Bit of an influence over De Bruyne for the penalty to the extent that De Bruyne knows he's got to put it right in the corner, and he maybe goes goes too heavy on it. Well, I mean, it's a theory, yeah. I, I don't know. He'd probably deny it, wouldn't he, if you ever asked him, De Bruyne? But um, it was a bad penalty. Yeah, I think there's there's no excuse for not hitting the target. You know, if we keep it saves, it's fine. But I mean, what's really you would have seen it, Josh, and people listening and watching would have seen it as well. But I do think. You know, in the context of all these statistics that we've been pulling out, and especially two of them now related to that game at Anfield, it was interesting that the last penalty not to hit the target in the Premier League was also Mahrez's in that game at Anfield. And yeah, ever I mean, since then, there's got to be something in that. There's got to be. Mm. That's got to be like a mental thing that, like, a, a bit of a block that City have against Liverpool or something, you know, your biggest rivals, whatever it might be. However, Guardiola bigs Liverpool up in the dressing room. I don't know what it is, but the fact that it doesn't happen that often, but it's happened to Guardiola twice mm. since moving to City against Liverpool. You know, there's got to be something in that. The only thing I would say to kind of counterbalance the arguments is the uh, City just weirdly don't seem great at penalties across the board. Mm. They just, they seem to... They seem to just miss them a lot, you know, in the in the context of penalties at least. Um I do I do think, you know, now you've pointed out there probably is an element of De Bruyne thinking he's got to get this one right. But then I do think there's also going to be that element of the, the penalty records aren't aren't that great at City, which in comparison to can can I just say by the way, Salah again, because I said this a couple of months ago mm. and um, a few people were like, No, and I'm, I'm not too sure whenever he steps up. He's immaculate as a penalty taker for me. Actually, I think you've said that. I mean, you don't love his run-up and things, but... Oh, there's I, something about the way he takes his pens that doesn't fill me with confidence, to be honest. But he, he that to me. No, I know. I know. And yeah. I think he's fair play to him. I think on the mental side of the game as well, I think he's absolutely unflappable 
I think mm. he's under, really, really underrated on the mental side, Salah. Um, you know, never, ever injured. People are moaning about the whole five subs thing at the minute, the whole fitness thing. Salah's just going week in, week out, still getting kicked. Um, and when it comes to penalties, he never misses them. But I just feel like his run-up is the kind of run-up that <laughs> doesn't allow for accuracy in terms of hitting the corner. And I feel like you see run-ups like that when, when players blazer over the bar or mm, something. Yeah. <laughs> for whatever reason, Salah just continues to put them away. But I think what it is, what another thing that it might be is I always feel like because of where he finishes, because of where he puts the ball with these penalties, I always feel like if the keeper guesses right in terms of the right way, the keeper would save most of them, I think. I think what the, the, the thing Salah gets right somehow, he sends the keeper the wrong way most of the time. And mm. I think that's why most of them find the net. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, do you know what, though, Josh? Go on. I think they're so the hit with so much power and they're so fast that even if a keeper does go the right way, I still think it's got a good chance of being of being a goal because it, it, it the speed in which and the power that it, it for the keepers actually get over there and get something on it. I, I think that's what works in his favour. I mean, it could be wrong, you know. He could end up missing his next two or three, but. I don't know. I just fancy him every time. No, yeah, yeah, he's got a solid record now. I think I remember him scoring that one for Egypt in um, the World Cup qualifier, the last kick of the game. Mm. Egypt needed to win, and I think the scores were level at one-one. So we've got the whole country on his shoulders taking a penalty, and I think he just did roughly the same. Um, so you know, fair play to him, and hopefully Champions League as well. Did in Champions League, yeah, Champions League, yeah. I mean, he's in same as I just said, the mental side of the game, Salah's completely flawless. Um, mm. Well, yeah. So we'll leave City there anyway. Little half hour chat on the City game. Um, we're just going to look now at the, at the state of play. Really, just have a look at the table, how teams are looking. Um, so I'll, I'll run through a few of Liverpool's numbers. Uh, before we get fully into it. So, Liverpool currently third in the Premier League table. Uh, one point from the top. Fully enough, the team that at the top we face next, Leicester. Um, Liverpool are joined third in the league for goals scored. 18th <laughs> for goals against. Uh, top for shots per 90. Top for non-penalty expected goals. 13th for expected goals against. And obviously you couple those numbers in with the fact that Liverpool have had a tough start. So, you know, given those numbers, Dave, and obviously watching Liverpool and stuff like that, what's your read at the minute? What, what, what are you thinking? Um, truthfully, I, I, I still think they looked at the best side in the division at the moment. Um and I think City will come good as well, to be honest. I still just see those two. I think Liverpool have started better, they've been better. I think the only blemish, big blemish, is that goals against record. But you know, if you if you change that Aston Villa defeat to maybe a, a 3 0 one, what would that do to let's have a look? So they've conceded 16. Save that you say if you take take that down to a 3 0 loss which would probably coincide more with maybe the XG on the day, you know, without the deflected goals and things. You know, you'd, you'd suddenly be on par with Newcastle, who are about, I think, 10th or 11th for goals against. Um, mm. And where are they on expected goals against? Yeah, see, that they, they, had, they, they had one of the worst expected goals against, didn't they? had just week by week slowly starting to fall back down a bit as well. So... Um, I think when you when they've been obviously without Van Dyke now, without Allison for big part of the season so far, I think on the whole, I do think Liverpool looked at the strongest side and those numbers are, are pretty solid so far. I would agree that Liverpool, to me, looked the strongest team. But I, the numbers don't really show it yet, do they? Um it's probably one of the reasons why we shouldn't overly be doing this because it's, it, it is still early. But I, I did a little test on myself before and I've covered... If, if you look at the the uh, the Premier League table on FB, Ref Dave, and if, yeah. you cover, if you cover the names of all the teams and you look at solely the numbers, who would you... Which teams would you have put to each numbers at, at, after eight games this season? Because 
I, I would expect Liverpool to be Spurs. Spurs' numbers, I would look at and think, that's probably Liverpool. And Liverpool, I would think, is City. <laughs> if you if you get what I mean there. Yeah, I do. I, I do, but I do... Th- Go on, sorry. I was going to say, I do think a lot of it comes down to the, those, that defence of both expected goals against stands and goals against numbers. Because I think if, if you do that same... Yeah, yeah. Because if you look at the XG and things... And you look at goals for the the right up there, typical Liverpool. It's just that defensive record. Do, do you not think though that Liverpool's current numbers look a lot like City's last season, in terms of City scoring more than any other team, but conceding loads as well? Mm. Yeah, so but I, that, I, I I think Liverpool what? have almost assumed the mould of of last season's City. Um, and I think looking at Spurs' numbers, and this is not to say Spurs are going to. Do anything of note, although I do think it's possible. Spurs' numbers look a lot more level, really. You know, they scored 19, conceded only nine. Uh, XG of about double the XG against. So I would expect that to be Liverpool. I'm quite surprised that it's not at Spurs. And, you know, it's just interesting to, to look at these early numbers. Mm. I can't see the point you're making. Um, perhaps, perhaps, you know... My judgment's clouded a little bit, same as yours, by the fact that I have watched Liverpool. Um, mm. and think that I, I do still think we're seeing in, the impact of that um, that Villa game. You know, it, if if this if the sample didn't include that Villa game, I know it doesn't work like that, but if it didn't, I think it would look a lot more normal, shall we say? Um, yeah. So, I mean, if you saw your table by expected goal difference. Liverpool is still actually top, um, mm. and that's even despite the the Villa mess, you know, mm. whatever happened Villa. Um, so that's expected goals for minus expected goals against per match. Liverpool currently have plus seven. Um, second, Spurs on plus six point two, then Leicester on plus five point seven. And then Chelsea on plus three point seven. It's obviously difficult with City at the minute because they've played the game less. But I must admit, looking at City, Dave, I'm I'm not I'm really not sold at all. I don't know what to expect of them this season. Um I do got Spurs next. Um who have they got after that? Pretty sure they might have a bit of a tricky one. No, they haven't. They've got Spurs next, then they've got Burnley Fulham. And then Manchester United. But I think the Spurs game will be interesting because the Spurs game's away. Spurs, according to the performance numbers, look good. Look like challenges, you could argue, especially considering the current squad and the fact that Mourinho's done it before, sort of thing. Even though I have watched the past few games that they've played and they have scraped wins. I think the 1-0 win against Burnley was undeserved. The 1-0 win against West Brom on the weekend was undeserved for me. I mean, he did enough gradually over time, mm. but most of the game, he just let, let it drift, really. Um. But yeah, for, for for me, I'm just I don't feel I don't feel safe with City at the minute. I don't feel convinced in my opinion on. Um, don't know what to make of them. Yeah, I think what's interesting with City though is I'm just having a look. Um, let me just isolate the Premier League for a second, too, sir. So yeah, the, uh, you know they've only lost one game, and it was that kind of mad. Mad fixture home to Leicester, the five-two with the was it two or three penalties? I can't can't remember. There's a, there's a couple anyway. Three penalties. Um, obviously they got exposed on the day, but I think that was just good tactics by by Leicester and Rogers. But since then, um, let's have a look. Yeah, the the problem is the games. It, it seems like it's that thing where they're leaving too much to chance at the moment. Where the, the no team is particularly outplaying them, they're not losing many games, but they're just not doing enough to secure victories. Like that, they are coming out on top on the XG in most games, even the games that they're drawing. But it's only ever by marginal amounts, and it's 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 leaving too much to chance. And I think that's why they haven't been able to turn those draws into victories. That being said, I don't suspect that to remain the theme for the rest of the season. You know, if you think of some of the issues they've had, I think 
we talked about it on the pre-show last week. They didn't have a they haven't had a striker really, have they? Um, with a, no Aguero, no Jesus. I think that's impacted them. They're obviously going to have one or both of them back, and I think they're needed in terms of implementing the philosophy they want. I expect Foden to keep growing and developing in that team and start playing more, and maybe playing that kind of silver role that we we said they were potentially missing last season. I do expect them to to start getting better, to be honest. I agree so far it doesn't look good over the eight games, but sorry, seven games, but um what from what I can see there, they've still only lost one and if they can just start doing a little bit more to secure victories, then I do expect them to be up there. Yeah, I do expect them to get better. But I feel like my expectation of that happening is more based on the past and more based mm. on what I know of a Guardiola team. Um than actually what I've seen so far. What I've seen so far, even in in possession and stuff, it, it hasn't been too dissimilar to, to just a, a, almost a bad slash boring possession-based team mm-hmm. rather than an attacking side. Like, it, like, they've scored 10 goals this season. They've conceded nine. Um, and if you look at... I know, obviously, massive factor. Aguero's been out. Jesus has been out. They have another striker. That 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 probably comes into it quite a lot. Um, and obviously they've played a goal a game less, but even goals per ninety, they're currently eleventh in the league for goals per ninety. They're averaging one point four goals per ninety. Um, Chelsea are top on two point five goals per ninety. Liverpool are fourth on two point three goals per ninety. Um, and I just think if there's one thing Guardiola's teams have always had in the past, even if they haven't got the defence, they've always had the attack. At the minute, they don't even look like they've got that. Um, I do think Liverpool. it's close. Sorry, go on. Finish what you're going to say, and I'll come back. No, to that I was step. just going to say Liverpool have had, in my opinion, a tougher start, and Liverpool's Liverpool's attacking numbers look a lot better. And I know Liverpool have had no attacking injuries. You know, this obviously comes into quite a lot, but I just think it's uh, it's really out of character for City to 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 be so. Uh, Almost stale in possession, like like the like the appearance at the minute. Yeah, I mean, just as we were talking, I was having a quick glance, and in terms of things like um, touches in the attacking third and stuff, they, they are still getting there. There's only Liverpool who've had more on a pair ninety basis so far, uh, and it's only Liverpool and Villa who've had more in terms of you know touches inside the opposition's penalty area. So I do think they're still getting themselves into those areas. I just think they've missed that final ball or good movement from a, a a proper forward in front to turn those um like attacking moves into goals that's why i just i, I do think it will start sharpening up um yeah no I, I i probably do as well um but i think there's just a, for me there's just a little bit more doubt there than, than the ever has been really mm. like in mm. terms of the shot shots obviously i mentioned that liverpool were top for shots paying 90 liverpool average 16 shots a game City are third for that, um, 14.4 shots per game, which isn't that different to Liverpool's, really. Mm. Um, but I think they just convert at a lower level. And I think the shots that they take aren't as, as good of a quality. Like, if you look at Liverpool's expected goals per shot, it's the second best, behind only Leicester. City's expected goals per shot is a little tiny bit below mid-table. Um, so they're still shooting a fair amount of times per game. But the shots, when they come, they're not really clear-cut. They're not easy mm-hmm. to finish. Um, maybe that'll change now that Jesus is in the team. Obviously, with Jesus in the team, that moves Sterling out wide. Um, it allows for maybe Torres to, to be a bench a bench option come on on the hour mark. So... I would expect them to improve, particularly with a striker, but I think these these are weird numbers to the extent that they are worth flagging considering supposedly Liverpool's main rivals. Mm. Um, so, I don't know, maybe, maybe to round up, do you want to do... This, I'll put you on the spot here, a, a top four <laughs> prediction, prediction. Oh, OK. Uh, actually, it's not as tough as it sounds for me. Yeah, I feel quite confident as well. Yeah, I, I'll go with um, 
not in any particular order, by the way. Um, I'm going to go with Liverpool. I am going to put Tottenham in there. Um, Manchester City. But the fourth one does become a bit of an issue for me, I'll be honest, Josh, because I've got a feeling maybe yourself, maybe people listening will assume I'm going to say Leicester. Um, but I'm not sure on Leicester because I think... And hear me out on this just briefly. I think with Leicester, you know, they do look really good at the moment. Like, numbers are good. Obviously, top of the league numbers look good. But particularly on the XG side of things, if if you look at non-penalty XG, I, I'm, they drop down to... One, two, three, four, five. They drop to about 12, I think, in the division for non-penalty XG. You know, they've, they've had uh, seven... Only, only two what? teams in the league shoot less often than Leicester do. Um, there we go. Newcastle United and Sheffield United are the only two teams that shoot less frequently than Leicester in open play. That's it. And I think, yeah, OK, um, they've got a really good forward, Jamie Vardy, who's absolutely perfect for their game. But I think for them to do anything of note this year, they've got to rely on him being fit for absolutely every game. And even then, it you know, the, the, we've said it so many times, you've just mentioned the shots there. The teams who shoot the most tend to win the most games because they score the most goals. And you're having to rely on really accurate finishing. I know they do create quality chances, of course they do, but um, I just think they're giving themselves too much work to try and have a really top campaign. So I'm actually not going to put them in my top four. Uh, I'll expect them to drop off again. And I'll probably maybe go for someone like, might raise a few eyebrows, but I think I'm going to go with Chelsea on. Chelsea was my pick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mine, mine was going to be Liverpool, City, Spurs, Chelsea, possibly in that order as well. Mm. Um, I do think Leicester have an outside chance, uh, largely because I think they're doing this. They're currently top of the league, despite being absolutely battered by injuries. And I think once you've got Indeedy back in the team, you've got Ricardo Pereira back in the team. You know, and Vardy playing every minute and, and, and things like that. They're big players. Um, so I, w- I wouldn't expect them to fall off that much. I think they'll still be a top six side. Um, I, I don't think, I don't see United doing d- doing that again this season. No. Um, I can see Solskjaer maybe going mid-season or, or something like that. Uh, but I think Chelsea in particular did. They just have an absolute wealth of of goals. They just have so many attacking options. Ziyech is an output merchant. Werner is an output merchant. Tammy Abraham is a really, really good player. Um, Chilwell, lots of attacking threat. Reese James, lots of attacking threat. Have it. Can't from set pieces. Who? Have it. Have it. You know, <laughs> Hudson the Doig. The team's got, a joke when you think just, about it. They've got so many goals in that team. Um, so I wouldn't expect the, the, them to find to, to encounter any issues on the second side. And I think considering how weird this season is, how tired everyone's going to be, I think that quality in the final third, you know, we've seen defences keep very few clean sheets and that's so far. So I think I think that that output in the final third is going to have a big impact on, on the season this year, I think. Yeah, it should probably flag as well, Josh. You've got they've played the last three games. I haven't got the expected numbers to hand, but last three games they've conceded only one goal across fixtures against Sheffield United, which okay, poor in attack. Burnley, another not side who's not great in attack, but it feels like a fixture in years gone by. You know, Chelsea would concede because of Kepper and things, clean sheet there, and then obviously clean sheet at Old Trafford as well. So you know, the, it's not just the attacking side of things. It feels like, especially with Mendy coming in, they've just, they may have not, the defence isn't perfect, but they've probably just improved it ever so slightly. And um, even if they can see maybe five or six goals less than last season, that's probably going to have a big impact on the points as well. Do you want to do a very quick one on relegation? Bottom three. Yeah, come on, let's do it. Um, I'll let you go first this time, seeing as I took the limelight initially. So I'm going to go West Brom, Fulham, Sheffield United. Uh, same as me. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, if you look at the table now, obviously Brighton's down there, but we've spoke about Brighton and how bizarre it is with them. You know, How, they, they, how they, down there are Brighton? 
They're actually, uh, yeah, three points above the relegation zone, they are. Four Which points is... from Leeds in, in one place above them. They start winning games. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of the point. I mean, this is off topic, sorry for people watching, but that was the point I was trying to say to you when we were talking on Friday night after they got beat. It was like, I can see the principles and, you know, they look good. And I agree with you, they are missing, you know, at both ends, that, that top player. Um, but at the same time, going such a dinosaur saying, but it is true, it is a results business. And I think the longer you're going without results, the more people start questioning your philosophies and start questioning what's going on. And even at a really kind of forward-thinking club like Brighton, it I could see it getting to the point where they think we need to tear this up and make sure that we stay in the division. And, and then they'll end up kind of reverting to someone who can do that. So I do think it's a little bit concerning for them. Yeah, no, they need to start accumulating goals and wins, basically, because uh, their performance numbers do look really, really good. Just uh, for those that don't follow me, I posted a bit of an update the other day. Um, how how good is each Premier League attack? How good is each Premier League defence? And Brighton actually show up as having the, the best defence at the minute. I think they only face about six shots per game. And the expected goals of each of those shots is, is, isn't great either, so... They're really good at keeping teams out, Brighton, but they just keep suffering from like bad finishing, penalties, just things like that. They need to start winning. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll round up there anyway. A little bit of a shorter episode than usual, but I think we've uh, we've hit the 50-minute 50, 50 mark, so no complaints there. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about whoever Liverpool have got next. Leicester? <laughs> oh, Leicester, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we'll address that next week. Um Maybe we'll do a Q&A, we'll see how we go. But thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. And thanks for tuning in. See you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.